Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about inventory, housing starts, and the effects of mortgage volatility on the market. First, here's a word from our sponsor. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, talking with Matt Dowd, Vice President of Product Management at Ice Mortgage Technology, about mortgage automation. Matt, what has been the biggest challenge you've had to overcome? Really big question. I'd say in the recent history, it has to do with the market condition and lender sentiment towards change in investment, right? It's really tough out there and lenders are faced with some super tough decisions. But the market's going to change and lenders that are willing to make changes today um, will ultimately be in a much better position when things turn around. Like we can't control the market. So um, I believe that, you know, as you look at automation and when you're introducing it, you need to establish trust up front and confidence in your users. So get the adoption today, get implemented, get training so that when the market does turn, you're completely prepared to take advantage of that situation. This is so important. And listeners, you can find out more at icemortgagetechnology.com. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah. It is wonderful to have you here. So we are going to be talking about inventory first off. Tell me what's happening with inventory, one of the biggest stories of the year. Yes. uh, You know, we bring the tracker out every Sunday night now and uh, active listings fell again uh, uh, last week. So that's not good. It's April. This makes it the longest period in time where we have the seasonal bottom and new listings data is um, uh, trending at all-time lows. So, you know, I, I, I wrote on Twitter today, you know, and just to give people numbers, we are like roughly around 165,000 single-family homes away from the all-time lows in inventory that we got last year. It was roughly around 240,000. That's where we're at today. Now, traditionally, in pre-COVID, inventory would be, or single family would be rising. We'd usually the bottoms in January and February, and we'd have many weeks of risings, but we're still trying to find that bottom. So hopefully, crossing fingers, that we're going to get the spring inventory bounce uh, that we see seasonal every year. There's, there's nothing abnormal about it. But uh, uh, it, there there is a question about, you know, what if demand really picked up? What if mortgage purchase application data actually really started to take off and new listings data didn't really grow that much you know could there be a chance that we get back down under 300,000 again uh not something that should happen this year but uh it, it's something to think about in the future uh what's kept inventory higher this year than from last year is simply uh, uh demand collapsed in 2022 uh uh, demand has picked up. We're going to get the existing home sales report uh, tomorrow. But you know, mortgage rates being between six to seven percent has stabilized housing. Uh, it's kept inventory from really growing, but uh, so far it hasn't. What I call you know drawn or pushed inventory toward the all-time lows. 
stabilization demand is is not like you know uh, uh, demand really kicking in and, and taking uh, homes off the market. This is why I, again I'm not a mortgage rate lockdown person because when mortgage rates go down. Uh, there's nothing recorded in history in the last like 13 years to show inv- active inventory goes up. Uh, it typically stays flat or goes lower. Uh, so, not a th- not not something to worry about in 2023, 20, uh, uh, but it's it's something to think about next year uh, uh, or or in the future. If if we don't get more active listings growth and we're kind of stuck around here, and this is why, you know, I always talked about. I would love to see the NAR data. You know, when I'm quoting these single family, these are from Altos Research, but the NAR data gets everything, pendings and every, everything. So it's not, the, it's not the purest single family data. But if you could just get back to 2019 levels, you have a buffer. Uh, and what I mean a buffer, if you have 1.52 to 1.93 million, like we had in uh, uh, before, if demand picks up and inventory goes down, at least you have something to, to hold things at bay. It's, it's not the case uh, in certain parts of the country. If demand is stable, you see prices rising. And that's what we're seeing so far this year. So I'm a very big supply person. Choices are a good thing. Um, but as we could see, the people that kind of read the data for the last 12 years, something different was happening with active listings uh, in America, slowly moving lower, lower, lower. And then finally, when demand hit pre-cycle highs, COVID happened. It took us to a level that was uh, savagely unhealthy. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm just hoping that next week when we talk, uh, we have inventory growth and uh, we start the spring seasonal rise in inventory. And new listings data is, is trending at all-time lows. We only have you know less than three months before the seasonality of that data line falls. That data line traditionally falls in the second half of the year. So not that much time left. Uh, uh, and purchase application data is almost in its seasonal time frame of, of ending. And so far, we are, you know, uh, we've had more positive prints than negative. Nothing spectacular or anything, but uh, it, it, it's not it's not the best thing to see uh, uh, inventory not really pick up so far this year. Well, and we had one week of inventory pickup, and we're like, maybe we've found the bottom, right? Oh, I was so excited when I saw like. 1100 inventory pickups in January. I'm like, Oh my God. Yes. Yes. This is, you know, hopefully this is it, but you know, you know, when I talk about people fixed debt costs, rising wages, people just living in their homes longer and longer. I I think also people have to realize a lot of homeowners put a lot of time and money into their home, you know? uh, So you are not only financially invested in a having a low total housing cost versus where your wages are today. As you get older, your wages rise. But you've also spent a lot of money making that house yours. And, you know, you just don't give that up. And I think that's that's part of that's some of the things that, you know, when I when I deal with the housing 2008 people, who again are all anti-central bank people, but when I deal with them, um, for some reason, they, they believe that the house... There's no attachment there that that being homeless that you know or or renting at a higher cost uh, uh, and starting your whole life over in a new place like that's such an easy move uh, and, and we have now like over a decade of information of of telling us this that it's it's something is d- different now than what we saw from 2000 to 2005 so 
you know, I, I just want to see the normal seasonal inventory increase at this point. So I, I'm obviously not going to get my 2019 inventory that I that I thought uh, one year ago in June, but anything at this point will make me feel better. So seasonal increase positive doesn't happen. It's not a good thing, right? It's not a good thing. More choices are a good thing. Well, because we want to see that bump in seasonal home buying, which can only happen if there's some more homes. And what well, we've, we, I mean, what, what one of the things I don't agree with uh, uh, people on is that low inventory is not keeping sales down. Um, demand keeps sales down. For example, we literally just had one of the biggest month-to-month sales prints ever in history, uh, and, and that's with low inventory. So when you list your home. And this is what uh, this is a good thing that Mike Simonson always points out. If you get an offer right away, that new listing is going to go; it's gone. So what is left is the aftermath of of, of an unsold home. So when people list their homes, they sell and they buy another one. This is why, if you look at total, this is why I've always stressed to everyone: look at total inventory levels going back to 1982. There is a stabilization in inventory always because. A traditional seller sells and buys another home. And the only time that didn't happen was the 2005 to 2008 period. In, in fact, um, you know, I, I'm trying to correct the 2008 people. Uh, 2005 to 2007 was the big inventory spike. That was happening all during unemployment rates were falling and the economy was expanding. We went from two and a half to four million. That's because it was a credit boom and bust. And a lot of people just, just don't know how to read data correctly. So they, they, they put these charts up that make no sense. And then you, when you try to correct them, they don't know what to say that after. I mean, you don't have a supply spike right when foreclosures are filed and completed and bankruptcies and all these things were happening in 2005, 6, 7. None of that's happening here. So people are fantasizing about a period in time that doesn't exist. And I think it's, I think it's hard. I think emotionally, Sarah, it's hard. It's really, it's really hard for these people to, you know, I mean, their whole life is housing 2008. I mean, people losing their homes and everything. And we, we just, we just don't know how bad it is for them. And it's just, we, we, we have to show, you know, remorse or, or something to make these feel, these people feel better running around and and just saying 2008. So um, this is why credit channels are important. And uh, if if there's one thing I'm going to try to really focus on for the next 10 years, it's trying to teach people how credit channels and economics really matter with a consumer economy that's based on credit expansion. This is why credit getting tighter is, is a negative for the US economy and why some of the Federal Reserve people are saying recession by the end of this year. Okay. Well, I want to dig in a little bit more on that one point though, when you're like more inventory doesn't mean more sales. And if someone lists a home and it goes, it goes right away. So what you're saying is that home doesn't get counted into active inventory. So it's like, yeah, I mean, if you, if you, if you sell your home right away and then 30 days later, it's not going to be there. So, um, you know, the, the most, the most inventory we had was, you know, the spike from 2005 to 2007, well, demand collapsed. So inventory skyrocketed. Uh, the biggest home sales we've had uh, in the last 12 years, inventory was near all-time lows. So you list a home, you sell it, get away. What's left over is the active inventory that's left. That's why, you know, that's why I would say that you, you, people say you sales can't grow because inventory is too low. No, it can't. 
we just had the like pre-cycle highs in demand with inventories trending at all-time lows. So the days on market is 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 the real key factor. So days on market are above 30 days. Yippee, savagely unhealthy housing market is over with, right? When you're at a teenager level, that's not that's never a good thing because that means there's so little supply that people are bidding against each other and the we, homes are just flying too fast or we have a massive credit boom like you know like we saw in 2002 to 2005 where credit you know everyone could buy because de- uh, debt expansion was so uh big we didn't have that now we we authentically have now going back 200 years with data we had an authentic housing shortage uh in terms of active listings and and that's why you know uh, even though total inventory levels are so low now the demand doesn't warrant you know 15 to 20% home price gains uh so there there's 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 a lot of things in housing that are still i think aren't explained correctly i think that's one of them we we had the best home sales prints in 12 years with the lowest inventory because people list their homes they sell and it, it doesn't get caught into the active listings but when the days on market grow and demand stays weak that's how you accumulate inventory and that's why 2014 and 2022 are the only two years in the last 13 years where we saw active listings really grow both had purchase application data get to adjusting to population all-time lows days on market grow and this this period is different because we started from all-time lows in inventory uh, that you know, uh, you know, we were over two million active listings NER. We got as, almost as high as two point four million hour under a million. So different, different dynamics with each year. But the one constant that we've seen in in the data is that total uh, inventory can grow in America if demand stays weak and days on. But this grow. seems this seems contradictory to me for you to say we had this great sales print, but we had all time in, that we're worried about inventory. So are you worried about inventory? Or are you not worried about inventory? I I want more choices so we don't get bidding okay. wars. So bidding from, wars are from are your bad. perspective, it's not that there are not enough homes for people who want to buy them. It's just that they don't have enough choice. Yeah, I mean, a function of demand is listing your house and then buying another right. one. Uh, so uh, if demand rises, right? So uh, for example, we we had a certain amount of new listings come in, but then on top of that, we had 25,000 more new listings that sold right away. So that home is gone, right? Somebody occupies that. So what is left is the active listings. Uh, so that that's, that's you know, some people just get confused when they say, how can we have home sales grow when inventory? So we just had the best inventory or sales prints in years when active inventory is so low. So the function of demand is listing your house, selling it, buying another one, Inventory is a wash, but if demand gets weaker, days on markets grow. Guess what happened? Like we saw last year, inventory can grow on that point, and inventory grew in 2014. So you use you you use that uh, uh, analogy, and then it starts to make sense because we didn't have a lot of inventory in 2021, and we you know home sales you know uh, got up to 6.5 million in the uh, uh, first month of 2022. that's We didn't have a lot of active listings. So always remember the function of housing demand is listing your home. If you get an offer right away, that home doesn't get kind of stored into the, that's a, that's a very quick sale. Um, so you can, you can have weaker demand and that's how inventory can grow through accumulation. Now, of course, it's, it's a little bit different this year because housing data has stabilized 
when you have stabilized demand and now you're just waiting for the seasonal increase and we're because total active listings are so low uh it's just taking a little bit longer this is why the my working theory after 2020 is that we've had three years of very late purchase application data runs uh and it's that takes 30 to 90 days and it seeps into the sales data uh going into the month and that's keeping inventory from having its traditional rise that we've seen uh, 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 for decades before, so this is a this is an anomaly in in U.S. economics. But I'm trying to like get people to understand why does inventory actually uh, start later in the year, and you could correlate it to purchase application data at the end of 2020, at the end of 2021, abnormal, normal. Even last year, we had a we had a you know a little bit of an increase. Active listings were low, so it's just the sales data or our sales reports are taking some of the active listings off, and then we get the spring. Uh, arise, but this year, of course, new listings data is trending at all time lows. So, not not what you wanted to see. So, in the fall, so when you say you know things happen later, and and so those purchase applications that we saw starting in November, right? That's from your perspective, like people were were going outside the seasonality of what we normally see. Yes, and this is this is this is a historical new thing. At the end of 2020, it made sense because COVID delayed buying, and then we just pushed it toward the end of the year. What happened in 2021 was extremely abnormal. We never have volume increases in purchase application data after May. It always falls after May. That's if you go back in the previous, it's really seasonal. There's nothing nothing abnormal. So we had a very Big and that pushed inventory to all time lows in 2022. We got it to 240,000 on single family using the Altos research. Then last year, mortgage rates fell from a waterfall dive in demand, and then purchase application data started to have positive prints, and that's hitting some of the sales sales data lines as we saw last month. The existing home sales had one of the biggest month to month sales prints ever in history, and we're you know, use that 4 million level on the existing home sales mark. So that's, uh, we've had three years in a row of, uh, you know, um, seasonal increases in inventory be pushed out. We've also had three very abnormal periods where purchase application data gets stronger toward the end of the year. Each of them are very unique uh, in their own right, but those things actually correlate. And then that's why you had these uh, 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 more positive sales prints. I mean, people forget in, in January of 2022, we had 6.5 million existing home sales uh, uh, th- that time. So, uh, uh, and in in here, the last print we saw was uh, o- almost at 4.6 million. With them, that's a bounce from 4 million to 4.6. That's a huge move. That's that's 12 weeks of purchase application data kind of rolling into one month. So. The, the the next existing home sales report should fall month to month. That that was an extremely abnormal month to month move. So kind of think between four to four point six million. That's your kind of range you could work with right now, and then we take it from one week at a time from there. Oh man, good thing you're writing that uh how the weekly housing market tracker for us because you're looking at. 10-year yield and mortgage rates, you're looking at purchase apps and you're looking at inventory to try to make sense of it because it is a wild market. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think more and more people are asking, why is inventory bottoming out later in the year? Did something happen? Yeah, active listings hit all-time lows and we've had three late late year demand runs and purchase apps. They're peeling some homes off. So, uh, And new listings data is trending at all-time lows. I mean, we saw that in 2021, we saw that in 2022, but the difference now in new listings data is in 2022, 
slightly higher than 2021 right now. Uh, here we're we're clearly year over year declines. Uh, so we're not we're not getting we're not getting much help from there. We're not okay. Well, let's talk about building, right? So we go maybe maybe it's going to be the new home sales market. What do you see? Well, the positive story of of housing starts because housing is in a recession, right? Uh, you don't traditionally get out of a housing recession until housing permits start to increase, but housing completions is still rising. That's a good thing, right? Uh, and one of the things I talked about in that article when we look at the 1970s. The 1970s multifamily construction was really big uh, going up to the 1974 recession, and then it collapsed. And then it didn't go anywhere for a while. And then we had massive shelter inflation in the mid 70s and the late 70s. So the positive story here now, and this is good for mortgage rates, is that the growth rate of shelter inflation is already falling, and it's going to catch up to the CPI data. But unlike the you know, post 1974 to 1981, uh, uh, multifamily construction, we already have a lot of apartments in the works. So what you don't want is what you had like in this, in the uh, mid seventies, uh, you have inflation being rampant, you have wages growing, but you have multifamily construction collapsing after the 74 recession and nothing's going on. So we should be grateful. That's the case because right now credit is getting tighter uh, uh, with higher rates. So, you know, uh, getting credit to build is going to be more and more difficult, especially going out in the rest of the year. So, uh, it's a good thing that, you know, the growth rate of rental inflation is falling. We got a 12 month tour of, um, you know, uh, shelter inflation catching up to the CPI data. But then on top of that, we have, you know, apartments in the works. So that, that's a positive. I think that's, that's one thing different about the seventies that, and of course, a lot of people don't look back in, in the data in the 70s. But, you know, after the 1974 uh, recession, multifamily construction was very low, right? And then you just had these really hot inflationary data prints from rent. And in the charts that I put in the articles, you could see that here, totally different backdrop. It's already cooling down already. And then we got supply because the best way to deal with inflation is always supply. Okay. Speaking of the 1970s, you 1970s comes into your work quite a bit because you want to show people how we are we don't have 1970s style inflation now. And so you've really written a lot about that. And in those in those articles you have also talked about dancing shoes and disco and all that, which feeds into one of your other metaphors that you use is like you try to explain how the 10-year yield and the mortgage rates really are are it's like they're doing a slow dance together. It's like they're a they're a romantic couple that they they do the slow dance throughout the throughout the decades. They don't like to stray too far from each other. And we have had so much feedback on that. People are like, this explains it perfectly. Now I understand. Now I know how to read the the 10-year yield data better. But we also ask people, you know, um, because you're going to be doing a feature for Housing Wire where people ask you a question, you answer it on Housing Wire, just one question, like a QA, short, short answer thing. And last podcast you said, and tell us what your favorite slow dance song is when you send in the questions, which I thought was hilarious, but we have one. And so we have a, a brave Peter Fitton. Peter is the director of business analytics at Credit Expert. And he sent us a question and he also told us his favorite slow, slow dance song was uh, Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls, which is an amazing song. So thank you, Peter, for being the first person we talked about uh, this with and Logan's going to be answering your questions uh, question this week on housingwire.com so you can look at that. 
Yes, and I always love answering questions. So please send uh, 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 good questions is any question, right? Any question is a, is a good one. Not asking a question is 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 a dumb one, right? Uh, knowledge is power. Reading is a good thing, right? Uh, everyone should read many different views, but the more you read, the more information, then you can discern things for yourself because obviously a lot of people don't agree with each other, but uh, uh, questions are a good thing. They're, they're a great thing. And you can reach out on social, but also uh, Sarah at hwmedia.com and I will give it to Logan or Logan at hwmedia.com. And you can ask him directly, which is what Peter did. And we love it. And Peter, thanks for sending that in. Okay. So next topic, because I kind of derailed that one. What's next, Logan? Um, existing home sales and, uh, Again, I, w- one of the things I want to f- focus people on existing home sales is we have a low bar to work with, four million. We have a kind of uh, the recent print to high was four point eight million. We're just going to kind of work on these ranges uh, a- a- and see where we can go uh, from there. Remember that first big move from a waterfall dive is going to be really big, right? And then you know we take kind of purchase application data and try to look forward. And then what if we have another year? you know, uh, kind of year number four, where we see a late volume run. So just a hypothetical here, let's just say that the economy gets weaker toward the end of the year, the Federal Reserve gets what they want. They talked about a recession toward the end of the year, and then bond yields start to really break down. That is a setup for a people going, okay, rates are five and a half percent. We're on, you know, so that's something to think about going out for the rest of this year, because if the Federal Reserve is correct and they do get a recession and the labor market breaks, that goes with my 10 year yield range and mortgage rates. If 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 the labor market breaks, we could break under 3.21. It hasn't hasn't broken uh, yet. So we haven't been able to break underneath that level. If that happens, mortgage rates should get a uh, uh, better. And what we've seen is, you know, rates, when they head towards 6%, the data gets better. Uh, when rates rise, data gets softer. Uh, but if you break down below 6% with some duration too, you know, that's a, that's a different dynamic because I mean, I, I always stress this. We really did have a historical waterfall dive in demand last year. It's not that people don't want to buy homes. It's the affordability got, uh, 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 very broken for a lot of people. And also rates spiked so much last year. We had two times in one year where we had, you know, rates go from 3% to 6%, 6% to 5%, 5% to almost 7.5%. I mean, the volatility w- is too much. So that's that's something that I'm going to be focusing on toward the end of this year, because if 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 the labor market does break, there's a setup there. And again, most people are always working right? And credit getting tighter in America in terms of housing, it's, it's not that big of a thing just because Freddie and Fannie are publicly traded companies. So uh, that's something to be mindful of going out. And this is why tracking economic data itself, like uh, you can't really track housing data unless you track economic data. And uh, that's why jobless claims are so important now. You know, the leading economic index has been falling for many, many months, month to month. So traditionally that goes with every single recession we have seen post-World War II. So we're in a much different phase of this expansion than we were, you know, early on in the recovery or even any, any period in time that we saw uh, in the previous expansion, which was the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history. And now you have Federal Reserve members actively saying that, you know, we expect a recession toward the end of the year. So 
just things to keep it. And that's why the tracker is there. The tracker is not just housing data. We want to look at all economic data, things to look at. And we go over every single report. And, and one of the things I've always stressed, if you like nerdy stuff, Instagram stories, I literally try to go over every single report that we have in the US every single day because that's all I do. That is. So that volatility to me is the story of the last year, right? And to me, and Logan, I know you're going to disagree, but hear me out on this. This is why I think the mortgage rate lockdown makes more sense this year, where you'll you'll be like, there's never, we don't have data from any of these years, but the volatility and the uncertainty of, of where rates are going to go this year, I think has another effect on consumers more than it would have in years past. Yes. And in fact, I even did a video of that on social media talking about mortgage rate volatility after June uh, of last year. The new listings data did not recover uh, like we saw before. And even when rates fell, when mortgage rates fell, it didn't change anything. Because it wasn't with duration. I think the volatility is the point here. No, the volatility is good, but also think about it in this way. If you're a home seller, right, and you're thinking, if I list my home, what if mortgage rates go up 2% like they did last year? This is one of the reasons why you saw the Federal Reserve buy so much mortgage-backed securities, you know, just to keep things, you know, stable. Uh, it was so boring in the previous expansion, right? We didn't have too much volatility. I mean, the big volatility was rates going from three and a half to four and a half percent. That was like the big outcry back then. <laughs> so this is this is pure chaos. So when you have a historical chaotic event like we did last year, uh, it, it can change behavior. So you you know, even though rates did fall, uh, um, or even rates have fallen, uh, uh, you know, there's there is a gun shyness to uh and and i don't blame people i don't if you if if you're living in a country where mortgage rates can jump up one to two percent on you you don't you don't make that decision you you need to be really sure that you can get it get it done and this is one of the reasons why the builders are 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 doing better they don't have to deal with any of that in a sense they can pay down rents they can you know they just need the product to be ready to move in but it, it uh, an existing home sales market is different the seller has to willingly sell you their home uh and uh new listings data has not recovered from the big rate spike that we've seen uh, uh last year or or even this year and uh, uh it, it's unfortunate um, because as mortgage rates fell, we didn't see it get any better, but I could totally understand why some people are a little bit gun shy because I mean, think about it. You are listing your home. You're thinking, okay, 6%, six, what if it jumped to seven and a half again or 8% again? And, and that's, again, we, we say this, this is done by choice. The federal reserve, if they really wanted to calm the markets down, they could, they just don't want to, right? Cause they don't care. And I think that's that's the reality. And the American consumer has responded by saying, okay, we're just going to wait until things calm down. All right. So, um, and it, again, it's, it's part of it is it's, it's, it, you don't want to see baby boomers buy more homes than, than millennials. Um, um, so a lot of the Federal Reserve are elderly people. So this is, they're helping their generation. Uh, there's less bidding wars in certain areas. So uh, in this sense, even though Gen X technically is the biggest biggest home buyers now, um, you see more baby boomers buying just because they don't have to finance their 
housing purchases. The millennials or younger Americans, typically traditionally 90% plus are, uh, are using finance to, to buy their homes. So when mortgage rates rise or, you know, stuff like that, it's just, it, it, it impacts one generation more than the other. Great points, but let's not uh, just blow past the fact that you agreed with me when I said that this is different because of mortgage rate volatility. Let's not, let's not let that go. Volatility is one thing, a mortgage rate lockdown. When mortgage rates fall, inventory will be released or active listings will grow was a 2000 to 2005 story. Not okay, the well, case we'll ha- anymore. We, not the case we are out of time, so we'll have to argue about this later. But thank you for just agreeing with me on such an important S- Sarah, speaking of actually, speaking of uh, favorites, uh, uh, slow dance songs. I don't have you? one. I, have to, I will have to think about it. It has been a decade. Are you telling me you do not have one? I, one does not come as to a mind. as a fellow Gen X person <laughs> with all the music that you have listened one, to. One Sarah, does not Willow, come to mind, but I would I would bet for sure it's a journey song. Let's just say that, okay? It's probably a journey song. What about you, Logan? You must journey. What about me? You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna sing something here, and if people understand what song this is, ooh da do do da do. Ooh, the very first time that I saw your brown eyes. If you understand or know that song, then you're going to understand me. Okay. I don't know that song. I don't know. Now I have to look it up. What, uh, you know. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's why I questioned. I thought you were a baby boomer, <laughs> but you're a Gen X. So Gen X person. Rude, rude. Okay. I will know what that song is the next time we talk. All right, Logan, thank you so much, really, for breaking all this down. And you are going to be having lots of reports out this week, uh, lots of articles on the reports this week. So um, our audience can look for that. But thank you so much. Pleasure. We have a Slack channel at HW that publishes all of the new registered users for our HW events, like the Gathering of Eagles coming up in June and Housing Wire Annual coming up in October. I was just scrolling through the Gathering of Eagles feed on Slack, and wow, I am blown away with the quality of the attendees. Leaders from Keller Williams, Better Homes and Gardens, EXP, Compass, Hannah Holdings, Remax, and Home Services and incredible ecosystem partners like Zillow, Austin Board of Realtors, New Western Acquisitions, UWM and Bright MLS, just to name a few. If you aren't familiar with GOE, this is our real estate brokerage event for the most elite brokers, teams, MLS execs, and state and local association of realtors leaders. June 18th through 21st in Austin, Texas at the amazing Omni Barton Creek Resort. Visit the events tab on realtrends.com or housingwire.com to register. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.